Hello and welcome to the Revenue Architect podcast, where we dig into the common problems that are top of mind for sales and marketing leaders. My guest this week is Brendan Whites, co-founder of Journey. And the reason I think you're going to enjoy this episode is that Brendan and Journey are at the forefront of a problem that is impacting all of us, which is that we can no longer get all of our buying stakeholders in the same room to drive consensus. Instead, today's buyers increasingly want to consume information asynchronously on their own schedules, and decision makers will rarely, if ever, get on a Zoom call with a salesperson. Brendan and Journey are deep in solving this problem, so I know we are going to learn a lot from this conversation. Brendan, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Uh, as they say, long time, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. Brendan, maybe you could start by telling us about Journey and the problem you're solving. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Journey is essentially a, a new medium for storytelling, uh, and we're purposely building it for sales teams to improve win rates and deal velocity. And I think to give a bit of context, uh, I think the origin story will help to tie it to the, the actual problem. But my co-founders and I spent the last 10 or 15 years at B2B software companies. And all of us were budget holders at one point or another uh, to make a buying decision uh, for software for our teams. We just always felt like the enterprise sales process sucked. The experience was endless meetings, chaotic email threads, and just a lot of time wasted. Um, So we kind of thought about how, how can we help make this process better? And when we broke down the enterprise sales process for every deal that we were either the decision maker um, buying, doing the buying, or on the sales side, doing the selling, we realized that were pretty much three things, three components to every closed deal. And those were, there was a, a quote unquote champion on the buyer side. So someone internally that was the one kind of cha- uh, spearheading the deal uh, for the seller a roadmap or some collaborative plan between the champion and the seller. And then inevitably, there were meetings that the salesperson was just not going to be invited to. There's internal meetings that the the seller is just not going to be able to have presence in the room. So we came up with Journey as really an interactive way for a seller to tell their story beyond the Zoom and give the champion the ammunition to help them sell the deal internally. So basically what happens is email threads become a lot more concise. The number of meetings you need to have become sometimes 50% less. And a lot more collaboration starts to happen between the buying buying committee and on the sales side in what we call a journey, which essentially is an interactive storytelling medium made up of video, documents, slides, and mutual action plans. That's awesome, Brandon. You know, something you said there kind of really jumped out to me, which was that uh, there are going to be meetings that the salesperson's not going to be invited to. And I think every seller listening to that was probably nodding right now as as uh, they're kind of listening to the pod because it really, it's just impossible to get decision makers onto a call. And so what strategies have you seen work well for salespeople to deploy in a journey to make sure that when that decision maker sees a journey, it speaks to them? The whole goal is, and if journey's doing its job, you're going to have presence. The journey is going to be up in that room that you're in the meeting that you're not a part of. So 
whether the content that you're sharing inside of that journey should be very relevant to the different stakeholders that you know are going to be inside there. So the best day is they're constructing the journey as if they're in that room. They know that their personalized video is going to tie to the pain points of the executive and the mutual action plan is going to call out their name. Uh, on a very specific document that they want them to read that's very concise, maybe the business summary of the, of the executive overview. And so those are a, a few things that we've seen work really well, where, yes, the champion inside of that company is the one sharing it with the full buying committee. But um, on the seller side, you kind of are constructing it, knowing that it's going to get the eyes and the um, the viewing time from people that are, you know, really the ones making the decisions. Yeah, that is so important because um, you mentioned that you had been a budget holder for many years and your co-founders were budget holders. I was also a budget holder. And think about all the times we were presented with proposals by people that worked for us and we just shot it down because it wasn't relevant. But at the same time, that person that brought us a proposal was jumping, couldn't wait to do it because it like they saw the benefit for them. But yeah, when when you, it's not obvious to you as a budget holder, you just kind of disengage. And so I think it's really interesting what you said there about making sure that you call out the name of the executive and you understand their pain points and that your kind of mutual action plan calls all that out because otherwise, yeah, it's just going to get shot down. And so building on that, somebody using your product would have to really understand their customer profile in order to say like, this is what the champion cares about. This is what the... The, the executive buyer cares about, like, how do you think about that in terms of selling journey? Like, how did you figure that out for yourselves? Lots of learnings here. We've been at it for about 18 months where we doubled down on uh, when constructing our, our first kind of ideal customer profile is where do we feel like journey is an absolute no brainer? You have to be selling a software or a service that is a high enough ticket that you're going to put the time in to, to create the journey. Like it's, it's more than an email. It's less than constructing like a beautiful marketing site and it's kind of in the middle. So where we, where our initial customers came out where they were at least, um, selling 40k plus ACVs, uh, sometimes more like the higher the ACV, the longer the sales cycle, uh, the more chaos, the more content and email ping pong that's going back and forth. And that's really where journey shines. Obviously, that's still too big of a uh, of a TAM, so to say, to like really narrow it down. We and maybe a lot of founders do this, but like we focused on Series A to Series C, where they have a sales team that's up to thirty people, um, and then the ACV was at that forty k plus to you know hundred k uh, range, and we just kind of whittled it down that way. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? How many people get involved in a 50k purchase mm-hmm. in, uh, in software? Like you and I both worked in media for a long time and like 50k is just, you know, one, one person can sign off for a 50k yeah, budget. Exactly. It's quite incredible like how it could be like a 22 year old at an agency that signs off on that. Yeah. It's just the difference between software and media is quite striking. And how many people do you generally see you know, watch a journey? It gets circulated around a lot. Does it give you a sense of the number of stakeholders that get involved at a 40 to 100k deal? Where it gets interesting is, you know, in a, in a pipeline review, you can kind of have some signals as to like how engage this this deal is or how 
how likely it is to close, the more people that are viewing the journey. But we see like even at 40, 50K, we see three to five people uh, on average in a journey. And then once you go into the 100K plus, we've seen, you know, 10 plus people uh, engaging in the journey. It really comes down to not not only the the number of stakeholders that are viewing it, but like, are they actually consuming it for a legitimate amount of time, which is another really good signal? Are they actually reading your documents? Are they watching your videos? Are they looking at your proposal and your technical documentation? Especially, you know, in the past three to six months, We've seen more and more stakeholders involved in lower and lower deals. You know, we're not in the boom times anymore. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's unreal how many contacts are getting added to ops. And then once you throw in like the third party procurement services that are cropping up and uh, it seems like everyone's got an opinion on a $5,000 purchase. Oh, wow. So like, you mean like the vendor and the tropics of the world or? Yeah. Actually, just a tangent there. You brought a vendor. Like, it's kind of funny how many champions don't even know that their company's using vendor. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and so you get, you know, you agree the pricing and then vendor shows up and they're like, we want some more so that we can justify that we're driving ROI. Salespeople really have to push early on and find out like does the champion understand the buying process that's where a lot of deals get stuck that's a really important point is that a lot of champions inside of organizations they might have not bought your type of software in the past and like you're kind of teaching them how to buy it's hard enough 100 percent, 100 percent. you know and you're you're teaching them how to buy so yeah uh, short sales is a is a hard job. And like also contrasting it to media sales where, you know, your buyer knows how to buy. Like your job title is a buyer, you know? Yeah. And then in SaaS, it's like, no, my job title is, I don't know, like if I'm in HR, I don't understand buying. And actually you mentioned there like using journey to sell journey totally makes sense. Like what kind of strategies have worked for you to generate leads? I would say, you know, early on we syst- we built a system to scale warm introductions. And ultimately, uh, it was a combination of LinkedIn and a, and a tool that we use called Cabal. But essentially, we have users that love Journey. And it was like, how can we leverage them to invite their, their friends who are likely also sellers and sales leaders? And then we have a group of investors and how can we leverage them to the max to get warm introductions? And then we have our own networks of just the people that we're connected to on LinkedIn. So we really scaled warm introductions to get the first hundred paying teams. And, uh, you know, I think right now we're actually for the last couple months, we've, it's the first time we started to do true cold outbound email and LinkedIn. Uh, and we're finding a lot of success with uh, real-time insights from LinkedIn posts that are highly relevant and targeted based on pain point that's being discussed and extracting that information and putting it into a highly targeted sequence like right in the moment. Um, so that's those are two things that we're testing right now. We really haven't done much else from a um, lead generation standpoint. Hey, there's a lot in there I want to, I want to pick yeah. on because... First of all, you mentioned scaling warm introductions. This is a kind of theme that I've heard from a lot of successful companies and not just startups. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed a former VP of sales at a firm and she had built half of her team's pipeline through warm introductions. Wow. And so you mentioned there that you were using LinkedIn and was it Cabal? Was that the tool? Yeah. And, um, and then you were leveraging your investors to get warm intros. Like, how did you kind of systematize that? Cause at the, you know, like 
it sounds kind of obvious. Like you have in, you have investors get them to give you intros, but investors yeah. have like dozens and dozens of investments. Like how do you get them to pay attention to you and that yeah. intro for you? You have to make it dumb easy for them uh, because they're the better the contacts are in your network, likely the busier they are and the, the they're spending not a ton of time thinking about you. So you have to make it uh, super simple for them to make an introduction. So First is just crafting the actual, you know, message that you're going to send them. Um, and then we basically had a target account list, um, that we piped into, uh, a mixture of cabal slash, uh, LinkedIn sales nav. We, we, we connected uh, our network against it. And then we could kind of see, okay, for these 50 accounts or these hundred accounts, who else in our network is connected to someone in that account that we think could be useful or helpful for us? Um, sometimes it's a, you know, it's definitely the person like the VP of sales or the CRO. Sometimes it might be an IC, but we were just trying to get in any which way. Um, so ultimately we had very specific, you know, templates you know, built out that made it easy for the person receiving that, you know, why they were getting the message, why the person we wanted the intro to, why this, why journey would be useful for them. And then two options for them. They could forward that email because we had it in there with context for that person. Or we would ask them, like, do you want us to send you an email that you can, you can forward either way, either way works for us. So we just made it kind of dumb easy. And we also took a more targeted account approach because we just found in the past that when you ask, throw out a list out there, like say, hey, these are all the companies we're trying to go after. Like, can you give us intros? No one ever looks at the list and no one ever gives you intros. So you, you know, we we essentially went at it from a, a targeted approach. And then we literally templated these hundred emails to the people that were very quick and easy for them to forward. I think you nailed it there. It's make it easy for them. The better that they are, the busier they are. Yeah. It's so true. I just think about my own company, like the people that help us the most, they're prolifically active. I'm curious yeah. for you, like, have you ever thought about what's been the success rate on that? Like you do a hundred of these, like how many of them result in a, an initial call, not necessarily a sale, but actually yeah. getting, getting a meeting? Basically what, what, what happens is of the, because you're using the, the data sets that you're using are a lot of it is LinkedIn, you know, and a lot of people have very superficial connections on LinkedIn. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I probably don't know more than half of my LinkedIn connections. So I actually get these a lot from companies that, that I've invested in. And I and I always say, I have no idea who this person is. That happens 50% of the time. From, from that 50%, you'll get half connects. So of the initial 100, about a quarter, you'll get a connect. That's, think about that. That's phenomenal compared to like cold yeah. outbound where... Cold outbound, you're getting, I don't know, of the 100, probably like one or two or yeah. three. It's so it's... Easily 10x, yeah. warm intros are 10x more effective than, than cold outbound. I feel like cold outbound only really works if there's just this burning problem in the world that everyone's thinking of and you're just showing up and, and like it's a new problem and nobody really knows which vendor to pick and they'll just the first one through the door kind of will get totally. a, get a solid totally. look, you know? Totally. Um, I imagine if anyone's on the open AI sales team doing cold outbound, that's probably working for them. Uh, or yeah. AI or something. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Um, then you also mentioned something super interesting, finding a lot of success, leveraging real-time insights from LinkedIn posts, yeah. and then turning that into a sequence. Can you maybe yeah. unpack that? Like, how, how are you instrumenting that? What kind of tools are you using? How is it working? Like you said, that like, 
you know, straight pulling down a list and running a cold sequence is, I think, really hard to, to break through. You'll send, I mean, when we tried it, you know, we, you send 200 and you get maybe a few replies. Um, but Out of office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Makes your numbers look good though. Um, yeah. Totally. Uh, so what we've done is, you know, it, for, for like, if you think of the, there's a couple probably big trends in your, in your niche or your space where if you can follow those hashtags on LinkedIn, like for us, it's buyer enablement. Everyone was talking about sales enablement for a long time. Now it's, you know, everyone's kind of talking about, okay, how do we make the, like the buyers in control? How do we focus on their process? Not jamming them down our rigid mm. sales process. So buyer enablement, a lot of people talking about the sales process, how to, you know, make it more buyer centric. If we see a post that some, you know, sales leader writes about this topic, we can grab the post, pull down everyone that engaged with the post. We can enrich that uh, post with, okay, only let's say there was a hundred or let's say it was 200 likes on the post and uh, 50 of them are VPs of sales. Um, we want to only focus on those 50. And then we put them into a sequence that's very much like, you know, saw you like this post, a very relevant, pertinent kind of um, opinion about the post. And then a one-liner about you know how we how we think about that that problem or, or pain, and obviously it you know there's a couple more emails that we do in that sequence, but those those perform ten times better than uh, a normal cold outbound sequence. However, the challenge is you're relying on your your LinkedIn feed and finding these posts and making sure the right people are engaging with them. So lower volume, but it's higher response rate quality over quantity wins yeah. every time and you using any tools to do that or you can yeah, so we, do, we use a tool called ample market i mean i've bought outreach and sales loft at previous companies and uh, i would say ample market is like it's kind of like outreach 2.0 yeah. very cost effective for startups too which helps me i feel like outreach and sales loft really just encourage mass emailing kind of kind of like why do i need to pay someone to send a sequence of emails you know and then it doesn't track linkedin so it's kind of like what's the point everything you just described there is just like that's the best practice for outreach in general and prospecting in general so yeah um it's great that it's working so well for you so so you're doing these um you know you're doing these warm intros you're doing this um really smart automation through linkedin getting a lot of meetings. Um, what does your sales process look like? It's something we, uh, as founders, argue about internally a lot. We have basically two, we have two motions. One is the product-led motion where, you know, users will uh, start free. You know, we get, we get data on their usage. We can engage them at the right times and mm -hmm. try to do a bottoms-up sale. Um Beautiful when it happens, so rare uh, at the at the early stage. But um, that's one motion, and the second one is more where we're doing you know the outbound uh, and your standard qualification demo. We do pilots. Like everyone who who uses Journey has tried it before they buy. Like we do a thirty day or a ninety day pilot, depending on the size of the team, and then that rolls into. Um, a annual subscription. Mm -hmm. uh, we've started exclusively doing paid pilots now, which are are performing a lot better. The the pilots are usually when we're the ones proactively, you know, reaching out to people that we we mm -hmm. put them through a focus pilot. Versus, you know, obviously, if someone's already in the tool, they invite their team, they're testing it out. That's more 
um, where we're engaging them and just kind of just helping them hel- helping them buy as a as a team plan because it's usually end users at that point. It's sellers that are inviting their other sellers and then we're helping them talk to their CRO uh, about like right. what's happening and how to influence it. And, um, you know, I think in, in a perfect world, we would do a hundred percent that, but uh, it's just, I think product led is a, is a long term. The product's got to be really, really, really good to, um, to get that uh, scale. Yeah. And also I feel like with product led, you and I both worked in consumer product. We kind of know like it's got to be instant appeal that's uh, in, a, in a very kind of simple pain point, like totally. like Calendly. That's like a very simple one. And then, you know, I send you my Calendly link and you're like, oh, this is good. And now you download it and whatever. If you're selling to another sales team, I think there's some viral growth. But like if your customers are using you to sell into Eng, like engineering teams aren't going to start using Journey because they're, they're exactly. not selling themselves. You know, curiously, in your sales process, what kinds of existing uh, hacks do you run into with your, with the people that are kind of becoming customers. And often I find when you're selling a product to solve a problem, it's usually because the customer's been trying to solve the problem, but doing a, like a half-assed job of it. Mm-hmm. And so what kind of hacks have you seen that people out there are doing? People listening might be doing that would lend themselves well to trying out Journey. What, what we've seen work really well. You, you kind of alluded to it, but the ability to, uh, marry video plus Mutual action plan plus uh, a you know interactive product demo. You're kind of taking what might be three sales calls and you're dripping it to the to this person asynchronously. Like a lot of people send a personalized video at this point. Uh, I think like that's uh, like that that works to drive engagement, but it's still just a video of maybe an SDR kind of like giving you a quick pitch or something. We take it to the next level where it's like a video that rolls into a very personalized demo for this person that they can click through that then rolls into a case study that's relevant to that person, then rolls into your calendar. It's like this interactive kind of experience that they can consume on their own time. You know, a lot a lot of people, especially millennial buyers, especially even younger buyers, are they want to consume things asynchronously on their own time. So I think uh everyone has a ton of content, but you don't want to just throw it over the wall all at once because that's overwhelming and people are, um, you know, just not going to look at it. Yeah. I think that something you said really interestingly, like if you find yourself having to do multiple demos for multiple stakeholders, which is pretty common, I think in this like 50 K plus range, that's probably a good sign. Sounds like that you should think about doing a journey to land the value prop for that person. Like I find like a lot of salespeople will like, demo the whole product and uh it's just like if you look at a gong call it's just this huge monologue talk times like 70 percent because they're just like trying to show you everything whereas different people care about different things in the product and ultimately they only care about the things that relative to the pain that they feel it's always hard when you're building a new business you know people say no (laughs) what kind of objections do you run into the most and, and how have you overcome them Definitely a lot of no's. Um, I would say, I mean, journey is a behavior change for mostly everyone. Like the majority of, of our end users are account executives and primarily they all send long emails with lots of links, lots of attachments everywhere. Like that's how everyone's been doing it for a very long time. Uh, there's really three objections that, that we've run into. And one is because we sell journey with journey. So you, so you know, someone's going to see a journey and that's going to prompt them to, you know, have a conversation with us. Um, 
initial concern from a VP of sales or a CRO is Journey looks really, really polished. It looks pretty buttoned up. It looks as if it takes a lot of time to build. Uh, and they don't want their sellers spending hours, like they don't want their sellers becoming pseudo designers and spending hours making these journeys. So we overcome that really with the pilots. Like we do 90% of the legwork for some of the pilots where we, we, we slurp up all their content. We create journeys for different, you know, stages of a deal. And then the sellers really just, uh, duplicating it, sharing it and tweaking it. So we take it like 90% of the work off in the pilot. Uh, so that's how we overcome that one. I think secondly, there's apprehension always from a VP of sales or a CRO around adoption. You know, I think a lot of legacy sales tech that just sits around uh, doesn't get used in our pilots and in our mutual action plan, mutual success plan. We have an adoption target of, okay, we're going to, we want each seller to have used journey with three opportunities in that first month or in that first 60 days. And we're going to track that adoption um, because we want to actually see that they can adopt the tool like it. And then lastly, surprisingly, not the number one objection that I would have expected is ROI. It's up there in the top three, but the, uh, the ROI one is honestly sometimes a bit easier for us because we can connect to, to the CRM and you can start to see the influence on deals that you're working that have a journey attached to them. And are they closing faster? Uh, are people actually spending time? Is it going to help you to potentially forecast on which should be committed and which shouldn't? Um, so we're ultimately there. It's more quantitative. It just takes longer because some of these cycles are, they could be six months long. So we can't, we right. can't run a one month pilot and really get much data back depending on their sales cycle. And we'll look at impact on deal velocity and win rate with CRM integration. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. I think for people to hear because the, the idea that it, it looks really polished and, is is a bit intimidating. I think um I can see I can see why people would have that that objection. And I wonder like are you able to ever show journeys of your customers to prospects and show them like look we didn't do this. This was just some AE. Uh if you go to our website journey.io we do that actually like with you know ones that are we've gotten the blessing to put publicly on the site. So we have a bunch of customers who've, you know, voluntarily said that, that we could use their, their journeys as examples. But you're right. Like in most scenarios, we don't, we keep it pretty locked down because people are sharing sensitive material or private, private right. information. Yeah. Cause I think it's always good when you see, it's like user generated content. You know, when you see other people doing it, it's less intimidating than when some totally. expert comes in. Yeah. Totally. On the ROI side. You know, I, I know you, you mentioned to me in the past that your customer base is well over a hundred at this point. Do you have any kind of stats on deals with a journey close faster than deals without? And like, what does that kind of look like? So some of the ones that I think are the most interesting are like, we have a series A hardware startup that uh, sells pretty large deals, 100K plus. Basically their VP of sales said that when, uh, when a journey had at least four to five people engaged in the journey for at least 10 minutes on an individual level, their win rates were like through the roof, like, you know, almost like guaranteed that those deals were going to close. So they started to use that information and, and understand 
for other deals in the cycle that stakeholders were not engaging with the journey at all or not or, or much less. He kind of called a new strategy for those deals. Like we need to multi-thread more. We need to get new contacts because they're not even looking at our content. Like they're probably not that engaged. So we've seen for that one, it was like if, if a deal gets, I think it was 10 or 12 views on their journey for at least 10 minutes, win rates rocketed to 90 plus percent. For um, for other companies, we've seen where if their sales cycle is three to four months, we've been able to shave a month off of uh, the cycle because they could have three less meetings or two less meetings. Mm-hmm. Those are some things that uh, we've we've learned, and we'll continue to push out more case studies like this. You touched on something there that is at the heart of every deal, which is multi-threading. I don't know, the last few years I've looked at thousands of opportunities across, you know, dozens and dozens of companies. And there are a few things that are true. It doesn't matter what you're selling. And one of the things that is true is like the more people that are engaged in the deal, the more likely it is to get further along. You either win it or you'll know why you lost it. Totally. And where it's a disaster is when you're dealing with one person and then just ghost you. If your number one close loss reason is non-responsive, you should be using Journey because you're clearly having trouble engaging other stakeholders and you need to try something new. You know, obviously you got to identify who these people are and there's some discovery training there, but a lot of that can be done, you know, just looking up LinkedIn profiles and things like that. Totally. So you can totally. figure out who the other people are and start engaging them. It, even in like a five, 10 K deal, there's two people, you know, it's, there's no more like single person just making a decision anymore. Yeah. Um, it That's seems cool. like, yeah, using it for multi-threading. Cause I was also thinking about when you mentioned the objection of adoption as a sales leader, I'm always looking at number of contacts on an op and always banging the drum around multi-threading and in every pipeline meeting we call out ops that have one contact and we're like, what's going on here? Yeah. And then we've shown the team every quarter non-responsive is correlated with one um, contact. And so just really banging that drum from, from multiple angles. If I see, you know, there's only one person on this op, I need a strategy for getting more. I've tried things like coaching salespeople on, you know, what to do. And it's going to appeal to a lot of salespeople because I have a feeling that the people who will use your product are probably a little bit more creative. They're totally. like creative thinkers and they tend to not be the same people that are just process machines. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like you can, you can say, improve your active listening. If your prospect mentions their boss, ask about their boss, ask, you know, that like you can bang, but people just don't, they don't all do it because they're creative thinkers and they're, they're trying to build a relationship and they're more maybe like a, a relationship seller, right? Yep. Which is a very strong persona, I think, in sales, very common totally. persona. And so a tool like Journey, I think it leans more into that type of persona, that kind of sales persona. A lot of thoughts there, but I feel like you're you're just like right at the forefront of this problem of getting more people and (laughs) engaging more people in the buying process and doing it on their terms. I think it's really exciting. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, you called out just one thing there where multi-threading is, I think it's hard for a lot of sellers. And I think what we've learned is journey is a bit of a softer way to kind of get uh, more contacts in a deal because you can kind of approach it with like, hey, I, I created this for you and your team to make it easier. Like, I'm not asking you to set up this group call yet. Like, share this with your team. It's private only to you. Only Only your company can view it. And the seller gets the, the dopamine of like, who's looking at it, like these new people. And then, and then they kind of like can weave in what they look at for the, to get the next meeting and, you know, stuff like that. 
Brendan, I feel like I could talk to you for another hour about this. <laughs> We're running out of time here. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your journey with Journey. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. 